This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. So we've all come from different situations in our lives uh, prior to coming on the retreat. And um, retreat is a uh, traditionally a place where we we separate from our normal everyday lives to de- to dedicate ourselves to to practicing being this moment. But in traditional Zen retreats, um, there's always traditionally a kind of aspect of work practice which goes with it, um, which has been present since the beginnings of Zen in China. And uh, hence that kind of, um, the, little, the little kind of stresses that can happen um, in terms of um, food preparation and serving and little 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 anxieties we might experience um, build a build a nice bridge to our everyday life so on the one hand uh, I want you to simply relax and enjoy being here and um, and on the other hand, there will be a few little responsibilities we have in terms of uh, some work. And uh, we just go about that as best we can. And uh, everything is perfect, whether we make a mistake or not. And uh, so it's, it's good to have a little bit of uh, stress on our retreat. <laughs> so um, the kind of... Um, um, experiences we have on retreat and the places we may enter into are not, are not so far removed from our everyday life. And that there's a seamless continuation between the two. So the, the theme um, I've chosen for this retreat is the mystery of being. And the, uh, that mystery is never very far away from us. In fact, it's so close, so intimately close, that most of the time we miss it. And one of the wonderful things about retreat is it does 
offer us an opportunity to drop into that place where we're no longer having to be so preoccupied with the agenda of the day that we can actually sit back and enjoy just being. As I've mentioned before, as we've talked about before, we have intonations of this, this mystery in childhood. We're very close to it often in childhood. And we, we enter into that wonder quite easily. And then uh, in adolescence too, we, we often touch on that. First love can sometimes be a, a wonderful opening to the mystery. Um, I was recently talking to a young man and uh, he was, um, he's, had a, he's had a rough trot, he's finished high school and um, he's uh, often been in a fairly uh, depressed place at times. Anyway, um, he was, um, he told me the story, uh, he, he, uh, he was actually, uh, he's met this uh, young woman and uh, they're kind of like soulmates and they've fallen in love. And um, he came home a couple of nights ago and his mum said in a very stern face, Joshua, have you been taking drugs? Mm. And he said, no mum, I'm just happy. <laughs> <laughs> So sometimes, uh, sometimes even 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 um, the uh, unrequited love can sometimes take us to that place of wonder. Um, I remember once when I was uh, I would have been about 19 years old and first year university at the Australian National University in Canberra and. Um, my best friend's name was Adam, and um, he'd um, he wasn't at the campus. He was uh, he'd come down to visit, and at the time I was doing my best to woo this uh, young woman called Eve. And um, unfortunately, Adam and Eve got together and I missed out. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I remember that. Uh, when I found out about this, I uh, woke up early one morning and it was all misty. The mist was rising from this little <laughs> river that ran through the campus. And, and I had that sense of the wonder and the mystery mm. as well at that point. And then as we've talked about, you know, as, as adults we become disconnected from that wonder and mystery. And, uh, we get involved in our busy lives. So retreat is an is a, is a opportunity for us to reconnect with that mystery. Yeah. <coughs> um, and it's a mystery that is... Um, nature, obviously, can provide us with face-to-face, -face, intimate contact with this beautiful panoramic uh, location we're in here. 
but also um, that mystery can sometimes be a form of domestic bliss, uh, a mystery that's entered into, into the kitchen, a hot steaming cup of tea or mm. a smell coming from the food that's cooking, the ray of sunlight shining through into the, from the window, shining onto the glass. The kinds of um, paintings that artists like Vermeer captured in those still lives of just everyday life. Or the Van Gogh paintings. Lots of artists have captured those, those moments. So retreats are structured to facilitate us entering into that wonder and contacting that presence the present moment. Our usual tendency to get preoccupied with the future, um, one of the reasons why we have schedules on retreats is that uh, we know exactly what, how the day is structured and, and we do have some rest periods that uh, um, allow us to have a bit of a sense of autonomy and to do our own thing. Um, so hopefully um, we can settle the, uh, the mind uh, which is so constantly preoccupied, can settle. But I mean even I found her on, on retreats in the past, uh, even on a wonderful structured retreat in the country, on, our minds can still get into planning the future, it's just what minds do and so if your mind does start to plan the future, then it's just planning the future and you can just let it do that and, and don't worry about it. In fact, we're not trying to change anything or fix anything when we're doing this kind of practice. Minds will just do what minds do and uh, we can just watch our mind as we watch the rest of the scenery unfolding as it changes from moment to moment. Uh, we don't have to become our minds we can hopefully experience some sense of freedom from them. So don't worry about trying to control your mind. Just allow it to uh, just build a bigger, like I remember uh, Suzuki Roshi used to talk about uh, um, the analogy of uh, um, the mind with uh, animals grazing in a field and just, just build a bigger and bigger kind of field for them to graze in, for the mind to wander in and eventually it will um, um, it will just wander away. Retreats are also structured to um, allow us to enjoy the wonder of silence and stillness. So just listening is a wonderful way to enter into the silence and relative stillness in our, in, our, in our sitting allows as our, our body is still, our mind helps our mind to still as well and uh, in resting in that stillness and silence we we allow ourselves to enter into the gateway, into being. That present awareness that we always are. 
So I encourage you to maintain silence except when the need arises to ask questions and discuss matters of a practical nature. And the same with, uh, with stillness, it's uh, flexible. I mean, if you need to adjust your posture, please do so. If you need to change your posture during formal sitting periods, please do so, being mindful of your neighbor. So there are three core practices that we do in, in Zen. And, um, and I'd encourage you to participate in all of them. So they are meditation, although in Zen it's often referred to as uh, non-meditation. So uh, we'll talk a bit about that. Um, inquiry, um, both individual and, and dialogical. So we'll be doing... Um, so... And, um, and contemplation. Um, sometimes you can... You can, you can uh, we might do some guided meditations. A guided meditation is a form of contemplation. But any kind of... Uh, Contemplating phrases or poetry, uh, that's a form of contemplation. Words or passages from scriptures, we won't be doing very much of that, but the, probably the, the closest we'll come to that is a form of guided meditation. We'll have um, some Dharma talks with question and answer. There'll be some standing yoga and we have the Tai Chi class. And we're very fortunate to have Angie to facilitate that for us. And... Uh, if you want to do your own style of yoga in the mornings, before the sitting period, or any, any time of the day, please feel free to do so. Uh, we have our work practice, and we have our rest period, so please enjoy this place of natural beauty. And basically, joining and being here together, and sharing our being together. Rediscovering this mystery of being together. In a lot of uh, uh, religions, both Hinduism and, and Christianity, often as a form of a kind of trinity, in terms of how uh, um, uh, people have spoken about uh, union with uh, the absolute or or the experience of God, if if, you, if that fits comfortably for you. And uh, so in, 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 in Sanskrit, they are, uh, the first one is sat, or being, being with a capital B. And um, again, being is just that sense of um, something that's always beyond concepts, cannot be really ever really put into words. Just the mystery of that there is something rather than nothing. Um, the other trinity often is the uh, um, often referred to as bliss or ananda or peace, and uh, and the other one is uh, consciousness or life. And um, in Buddhism, these are often referred to as the uh, three bodies. Um, the, uh, the the Sanskrit word kaya uh, means body or field. And um, the, uh, what's referred to as the Dharmakaya is, uh, in Buddhism is the truth body. This is the absolute, the, the unconditioned, uh, that which is um, eternal. And 
um, I'm born and I'm dying. Then the uh, another body in Buddhism is referred to as the bliss body. Um, so the first one, the Dharmakaya, and the second one, the, the bliss body, uh, Sambhokarikaya. Um, one other way of uh, understanding this is the kind of um, experiences that people often refer to when they're uh, experiencing being um, a sense of peacefulness that can come upon one, the sense of joy, uh, sense of love, compassion. Those kinds of um, qualities um, that are in a sense, uh, universal or impersonal, but also very intimate. Uh, and the third body, um, um, the uh, Nananakaya, can be seen simply as the physical body. I, I tend to like to see it as the, the life body or consciousness, the body that we all participate in, not just our own physical body, but the body of the earth itself. <clears throat> the sense in which all sentient and non-sentient beings of that body, um, mountains and rivers, sky and the seas, our own body, how we're all intimately connected as the, as the breath breathes us, as life is breathing us. You know, when you ask that simple question, who is breathing? Life. It's not Andrew, or Bob, or Jill that's breathing. It's life that's breathing, breathing us. And how sometimes we have that sense of that oneness with the, with all the earth and all the stars, the body of the universe in that sense, the primordial body. So how all those three bodies are, of course, one. They're all different aspects of the one body. And, um, wanting to deeply connect with the intelligence of that body. So our sensations and perceptions, sensations of our own body and the perceptions of the world are how we experience that, that body. And uh, again, one of the qualities that arises there is beauty. And that, that's another gateway into the mystery, isn't it? I would add a fourth body. It's not talked about as a body necessarily in Buddhism, but it kind of makes sense to me. Um, um, I think of the fourth body as the conventional body or the relative body or the karmic body or as some people refer to it as the pain body. Uh, simply egoic consciousness. The, the sense of, uh, of the, that sense of feeling separate and alienated or cut off from the oneness of, what the, of the three bodies that we were talking about. And how that when we are, how that, um, that body is also a form of uh, intergenerational suffering that can be passed down from one family member to another family member or indeed from one grouping to another grouping. And how this body acts to obscure um, our realization of the of the truth body and the bliss body and the consciousness earth body. 
and uh, how our path, our path, our Zen path, is the transformation of that of that karmic body, the transformation of that pain body, and uh, and uh, into realizing this body is Buddha, always has been, always will be. So Zen itself was founded on this mystery. As many of you know, the famous story of Bodhidharma when he was uh, speaking, uh, taken to the court to speak to the emperor. And the emperor said, well, who are you? And Bodhidharma replied, I don't know. That I don't know echoes, has echoed down all the generations of Zen teachers. Um, so, in a sense, um, this is the mystery. Um, we are that which knows. So, if you like to simplify it, this present awareness, this, this being that we are, um, knows knows sensations, knows perceptions, knows thoughts and feelings. But it cannot turn around and actually look upon itself as if it was an object because that's who we are. We can only really be the knower knowingly. We can only be being knowingly. But we can't know being as we know a knife or a fork or one plus one equals two. We can't objectify being, we can only be being. Resting in being, being awareness. Meditation is that resting in being. That's why in Zen we don't often refer to it as being meditation, because we're not really doing anything. We're, not, um, we're just resting in the being the natural state that is already who we are. The ultimate mystery. And in being awareness we are presencing all those three bodies. There's an amazing uh, piece that was written by the famous Zen teacher Dogen in the 13th century. He wrote it for lay, lay people. Um, it was probably his most accessible work because uh, uh, Dogen is a very difficult philosopher to read. But this particular piece was um, very, very accessible. And in it he says, the real, the real way circulates everywhere. How could it require practice or enlightenment? The essential teaching is fully available. How could effort be necessary? Furthermore, the entire mirror is free of dust, so why take steps to polish it? Nothing is separate from this very place, so why journey away? See, this was um, Dogen's teaching about how we are all essentially already enlightened. Enlightenment is not an event that takes place. There's never any person that becomes enlightened. It's just, you know, the, the sky being revealed that was always there all the time. But it's very difficult. We, we, the, he goes on to talk about how we miss that mark all the time often. Again, because it's so 
so so simple and so accessible we miss it. And that's why he then talks about the need for practice. So retreat is a is a lovely way in which we can return return to the source. Mm. Are we going for time? Four minutes to hey? four minutes to um, so, um, I'll probably talk a little bit more about inquiry practice later on. Um, so we just settle into the silence and the stillness. Um, what I love the, I love the koan that I've talked to you about before is, what was your original face before your parents were born? Um, so of course, if your parents were, weren't born, you weren't born. So what was your original face before you were born? Um, another way of asking that question is, who am I before all, self all the self-concepts we accumulate during our history, our life? If you take all those concepts away, if you just stop and listen, who is it that's listening? So awakening is just waking up from the dream of the separate self. And falling in love, falling in love with this. This is what we ultimately wake up to. The mystery at the heart of being, which is filled with love, wonder and joy. Mm.